sometimes the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And welcome to the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 138. Very exciting week down here in South Florida for me personally. I am finally getting back out on the golf course. It has been far too long. I'm excited to get out there no matter what the swing looks or feels like. Who cares? Um, I'm going to play hooky from work this week for a couple days, play some golf. You know, the bogeys won't mean that much, and the birdies will mean even more. So can't wait for that. Can't wait to see all my friends. And uh, I promise all of my friends at Quail, we will we will take care of the place just fine this summer. Despite the fact that I will be spending some more time on the golf course, you know that I will continue to bring you some amazing episodes. Kind of on a USGA kick right now, which is kind of interesting. Sometimes it just works out that way. Last week, Doc Redmond was my guest, 2017 U.S. Amateur Champion and Walker Cupper. Uh, the week before, caught up with one of his teammates, Will Zalatoris, as he gave us a recap of that Merido event in Dallas, Texas. Funny enough, as I was preparing this episode, I reached out to Will because there was a little bit of uh, rumor going around that they were going to try and do another one of those events. And uh, yeah, they are doing that again May 19th to the 21st. So that will basically be a week from today, week from tomorrow, something like that. So next week, there will be another Merido event, another fundraiser. So hopefully, I'll have some more information on that tournament as well. I have another USGA champion featured on this episode. But before I provide a brief introduction, remember, follow along on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Leave a review in Apple Podcast. Once I get some more towels in stock, I will definitely start sending some of those out to you. And don't forget, you can get every single episode in the history of this podcast if you just go to the website, thebackoftherange.com. Don't forget also Sunday, big day, big match at Seminole at NBC. Make sure that you record this. It will be the first time you will see this course on television. And you probably won't see it again until next May when Seminole hosts the Walker Cup. Now, on to my guest on this episode, Megan Stasi. You know, I went back, I looked at just about every previous episode here at the back of the range, 137 episodes, and I think I calculated it correctly. I featured just over 20 former USGA champions. U.S. amateur champions like Victor Hovland and Kristen Gilman, U.S. four-ball champs like Cole Hammer and Garrett Barber, most of them only have one title to their name. You know, there's a couple multiple winners in there like Spider Miller, who won a couple U.S. Mid-Ams in the 90s. Jay Sigal, he has three U.S. Mid-Ams and back-to-back U.S. Ams. But when you start looking at players who have won four titles in the same event, well, that list is pretty small. Of course, Jack Nicholas won four Opens. You got Bobby Jones, Carol Semple Thompson, Nathan Smith. Well, Megan's on that list, too. She has won four United States Women's Mid-Amateur Championships. We spoke about her career in the game, how she never turned pro, her coaching career at Ole Miss, and her approach to the game. She's still out there competing. She, you know, she had a chance to also compete in the Curtis Cup at the old course in St. Andrews. And I don't want to give away too much, but celebrating your birthday in St. Andrews during the Curtis Cup that you're playing in could not possibly get any better. Could it? Spoiler alert, it did. 
Another very cool thing I learned about Megan during this episode is that she helps out from time to time at her husband's restaurant, Shuck and Dive Cajun Cafe in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And, you know, once I find out that her husband's a Jayhawk fan, well, you know I can't help myself. I'm going to plug the hell out of the restaurant. They're doing some amazing things right now for their community during the coronavirus pandemic. So if you are in the area and you want to have a day's worth of calories in just one sitting, I will put the link to the restaurant in the show notes. Go check them out. Go tell them that you heard this episode at the back of the range. Let's get started. Megan, you're at the back of the range. How are you? I'm great. Thank you very much for having me. It's an honor. Well, well, let's not let's not get carried away. But uh, <laughs> uh, we, we're kind of I'm letting listeners know when we're recording these episodes since everything has kind of been uh, flipped and turned upside down with the coronavirus. So today's April 22nd. And I thought it would be interesting to kind of get your perspective as not only as someone that can't get out on the golf course right now, but um, you're, uh, you know, pretty tightly involved with a, with a small local business that is in the food industry. So what are you doing during the during this pandemic to try and not only, you know, keep busy and mentally sharp, you know, or obviously just mentally sane, not being able to play golf. But uh, what about your what about your uh, your, your day to day job? Well, sane's a good way of putting it. So we're all uh, day to day is just, you know, it's about the same. I can't believe it's been going on for what about five weeks now. Yeah, um, yeah we do own a local restaurant. We're, we're very fortunate. It's a local spot and uh, we're still fully staffed and uh, we're doing a lot of takeout. Um, a lot of businesses are ordering, uh, you know, large orders for their company uh, because they don't want their staff going out during the week either during the day. So, um, so we're doing a lot of local local businesses, um, done some catering from the hospitals, and um, just trying to stay busy. We've got a lot of projects going on, and, um, you know, it's never never thought I would uh, watch paint dry, but I'm, I'm doing a lot of painting, and I am uh, literally watching paint dry, so. <laughs> that's, uh, that, that's pretty accurate for all of us, and then you're actually doing it, so. Um, yeah. Wow. So the restaurant, Shuck and Dive, down in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, uh, Cajun food, I'm going to finish up this episode with a question to you because I've, I've been I'll let you think about it now so I've, I've been really trying to you know watch what I eat and not completely fall off the wagon but if I was to fall off the wagon uh, at your restaurant just completely just a an avalanche of calories coming my way I want to know I want you to think about it but later on I want you to tell me what uh, what am I going to completely binge on at, at the restaurant but um, before you tell me that, let's start a little bit more at the beginning. You're a native of Voorhees, New Jersey, which I could not help but notice is about 15 minutes away from Pine Valley. So oh, well. <laughs> before we talk a little bit about your career and your, your playing career and your coaching career, uh, tell me about the first time you played at Pine Valley. Oh, the first time. I can't tell you what year it was, but um, very fortunate to have played – several times and um i've always been able to play with dr bonner and um obviously it's a sunday afternoon and after 12 so we started it in may my birthday's in may so we got a the, the first invite years and years ago and um it's just an honor to to be there on, on any day or any time any round and uh with dr bonner because he's just a special special man and um, he has a daughter that plays as well, so we got to. I've got, gotten to play with her several times, and um, 
I think the first time I was able to play the par three course as well. So the first time I played the weather was, um, suspect. So we arrive and it's, it's drizzling and it's, we're, we're looking at the weather and, uh, there's absolutely just red and yellow everywhere surrounding us. You know, we have lunch inside and, it's just Doc's like, do you want to wait? I'm like, well, this is my first time. You know, when, when am I going to ever be able to come back? You know, I, I don't know when the next time is so hard to, to be able to play, you know, Sunday afternoon, there's only 52 Sundays and you know, half of them are already taken Yeah, with the weather and everything else. So we, uh, you know, we eat lunch, we wait. I mean, there's maybe one other group out there and, we keep looking at the radar and doc's like, I just don't see anything. I was like, doc, see that little opening right there. He's like, no, I'm like, just trust me. It's, you know, it's, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be okay. So we play the first four holes. It is, you know, it feels like you're playing in Scotland almost just sideways and it's cold. It's May and you know, it's usually warm and still rains a little bit, but it is just storming. And uh, after the fourth hole, we make the turn or make the turn, make the uh, fourth hole. And it is absolutely spectacular. The storm clears nice. and the next, the next uh, the entire round was just absolutely perfect after that. So, you know, that was, that was the first uh, of several rounds and just been fortunate to be able to, to uh, go back and, and uh, play Pine Valley several times. Did uh, what was your first take on actually? I mean, obviously, there's so much history out there, and it's such a special place. But I, I mean, I've I was lucky enough to get an invite to go to enjoy that place and 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 play the par three and just kind of get the full experience. But um, what what was kind of your immediate takeaway from from people that are listening that have never played Pine Valley, but they've heard the stories or they've seen the pictures? Uh, almost, I guess, similar to like an Augusta National, where you just you don't get it until you actually get on the property. Um, what was kind of your takeaway or did it all just go by in a, in a, or in a, in a, just a flash? You know, the, the first time it's, you know, you try to soak it all in and it's, it's, wow, it's, it's an experience. Uh, caddies are unbelievable. Um, you, you kind of just hope you can get back to experience it again. And I, I, like I said, I've been fortunate to be able to play. So now I, I can remember a lot more shots and I can remember, you know, where try not to go. Um, it is a lot like an Augusta. I have not played Augusta, but it is a lot like an Augusta where unless you're, until you're on the grounds, I mean, you don't, you don't realize that you're in Jersey. You don't realize you're in South Jersey. Um, it's just beautiful. And what they've done, the work over the last, uh, you know, five, 10 years since I've been playing is just, it's unbelievable. So just to see the changes every year, um, just very fortunate to, uh, to be able to have that experience how much money did you drop in the pro shop for souvenirs was it was it ugly uh what time <laughs> okay so <laughs> not, have you, have, not, have it, you it, taken it, out uh, a have you taken out a small business loan to uh to, to oh, offset your yeah they uh <laughs> they love you know the only way i can shop in there is after i had uh, a couple guinness nice and, and of course you know one or two transfusions so you know you shop a lot better when you uh when you've had a couple so <laughs> i uh yeah those transfusions are no joke uh yeah it's actually very funny you mentioned that because uh i think one of my i think the first episode i recorded not the first one posted but the first episode i recorded was an old college teammate of mine um willie spicer i think it was episode four and we 
literally got into during the episode the intricacies of a properly made transfusion. Oh, so, I, I think I did listen to that one. So, okay, yeah. so, so so is he on is he on point where he he talks about the Welch's grape juice? I mean, is that? Uh. It has to be Welch's. Hundred percent. Okay. Hundred percent. Yes. Hundred <laughs> percent. Okay. Well, that's good. I mean, I'm I'm glad that he's not completely uh, uh you know full of it. So that's perfect. Well, uh, you know, my, I had the similar experience there. You just you're kind of kid in a candy shop, and eyes kind of glaze over, and then before you know it, you're you're on your way out of there, and you're like, wait, what just happened? So yeah, there's a um so on uh right next to the bar, there's a um, scorecards. And um, only the very special scorecards are up there. And one of them is Annika. And, of course, Annika shoots, I believe it was par. Right. And, you know, there's only two par fives out there. So to shoot 70 at uh, Pine Valley from, I believe it's the white tees, the member tees, is, uh, it's not easy. So every time I go out there, I, I try and I try and I try. And I've been close. Um, but, you know, that's our that's our special thing with me and doc is I'm, I'm able to you know, get out there and, and, and try once again. So, but it's not easy. <laughs> well, I hope, I hope we hope you get out there again soon. Hope I get out there again soon. Hope I get on yeah. a golf course again soon. I mean, <laughs> uh, Pine Valley shooting the moon, but you know, something that resembles uh, normality would be great. Um, yeah. So your start in the game, you're the oldest of five, your parents did foster care. So I'm guessing it's kind of a unique upbringing where you know i've spoken to numerous guests where you know they've that runs the gamut getting dropped off at the at the local uh, muni and they just stay there from sun up to sun uh sundown and or maybe their parent is a is a pga professional i've heard you know all sorts of stories but tell me a little bit about your i mean upbringing in athletics and then also you know finding your way to golf yeah i uh it's funny i've uh been reminiscing a lot lately because I started jogging again. You know, once you get out of the uh, <laughs> the exercising, it's a tough thing to get back into. And I'm just thinking about all the summers that, oh my goodness, we would be dropped off at whatever camp was available, playing basketball and soccer and golf on the, you know, not golf, obviously, on the, the uh, asphalt, the steaming asphalt during the summer in Jersey. Jersey's hot in the summer. Yeah. And uh, people don't realize that, but I just, every day I go out there and I'm running on the street, I'm like, oh, man, it was, we just had a very fantastic uh, growing up. Um, played. My mom played three sports in college. My dad pitched baseball for uh, Xavier in Ohio. Um, so that's all we knew, you know, we only knew sports growing up and, uh, I would, I wouldn't change anything. Um, played three sports in college or excuse me, in high school. I probably got into it about when I was about eight years old. Um, but we just, whatever was available, we were playing. So it was just, uh, it was just a blast. And then did you, did you specialize in golf at some point or did you just kind of play everything up until, I mean, you played collegiately at Tulane. Did when did you actually start to specialize, or, or did you? Um, good question. I uh, <laughs> really didn't specialize it really until I got to college. Okay. Even when I even when I got to college, we uh, you know we were athletes, so all of us would sign up for intramural basketball, intramural soccer. You know, we didn't think anything of it until one day my coach found out that our team won a um, a trip for basketball, I believe to California, to California. She's like, 
since when have you been playing intramural sports? I'm like, since day one. <laughs> so. so the golf team wins a trip to play intramural basketball in California. That's, it's kind of hard to, to satisfy your collegiate golf duties when you're in California playing basketball. So I'm sure it was over the summer or something like that, but that, that nixed that we still did play a lot of, you know, sports if it was, you know, Frisbee golf and we, we just, play, we were very, very active. Um, you know, and, and I, I did it honestly up, I, I played three sports in high school. Like I said, um, I didn't know if I was going to play basketball or soccer or golf in college. I had, I had different scholarships and different sports. And um, I, I knew I wanted to play golf when I, I knew I wouldn't wanted to play for the rest of my life. And that's, that's really what got me. And uh, Tulane couldn't say no to Tulane. Tulane is unbelievable school and the opportunity that that was offered was uh, I couldn't say no to. Now, New Orleans, uh, obviously, uh, you know, you're, uh, you know, going to Tulane, being in New Orleans, and then now having a, a Cajun restaurant. I mean, obviously there's, there's <laughs> a theme here. So, but but when did I, I guess just you fell in love with New Orleans in, in during college? Did you have any? I guess you didn't have any uh, reservations about going from Jersey down to Louisiana. So oh, I was I was ready to go. Okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> I was I was ready. Um, you know, I, I just absolutely loved it there. I still have no idea how I graduated in four years. There you go. Um, there you go. Perfect. Okay. And you know, I, I, I don't, <laughs> but we, and playing and playing the college sport, you know, but we're, we just had a really good coach. We had great, you know, um, great teammates. And, um, we, we looked at out for each other. Um, you know, when I started my first year was three freshmen, three sophomores and a senior. That's it. So we really, those se- those sophomores were our, you know, senior class for a few years. And um, we just bonded really well and still keep in touch with a lot of the players. And um, just just fortunate. I always wonder how, how that works out, going to a school like, uh, like Tulane in New Orleans. And then I spoke with uh, J.C. Deacon, who's the head coach at Florida. He went to UNLV. And I just have to, I'm like, how do you even how do you even go to class? I mean, I mean, I, I had a tough enough time and I didn't go to, I mean, I went to KU for a couple of years and it was, I mean, that, that, that didn't help my college career. I mean, I had a lot of fun, but I didn't really see a lot of classes, but um, yeah, I, I can't imagine what that's like going to schools like that. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, we just say it's a lot of fun, but you have to be very disciplined. Um, and, you know, when it's golf season and golf time, you know, we are all in the books and we're, but we, but we had fun with it too. You know, we were sure. very, we, we liked, we liked going to study hall and we, you know, we would, it's a little different now. I mean, we would order pizza at study hall and we would just, uh, we would just do a lot of hangouts at study hall slash study hall. So sure. <laughs> plus, plus studying. So, yeah. so, but we, uh, but you know, we, we just had a lot of fun. So now you were, you're a very successful player at, at Tulane. Um, but it, it appears that, you know, if I'm looking at, at uh, you know, your playing resume, things really kind of blossom for you outside of college. Did you, is it a safe assumption to say that you're a better player, you've become a better player as you've gotten older? Yeah, it really is. You know, since I didn't really, um, you know, I played a lot of golf growing up, but with the other sports and I didn't learn a lot about golf until really my comes back to me in like my junior year of college when 
you know, I hit the ball a long way, um, but I could not putt, you know, I just, you know, three putt here, three putt there. And, you know, courses back then were a little shorter. And I learned my junior year that if I'm going to lay up, I need to lay up, lay up, not in trouble. Okay. You know, I would, okay. I would lay up with a five iron, but five iron was, you know, it should have been a six iron, you know? So I'm back into the, uh, into a bunker or something that I, I used to get myself in a lot of trouble. So once I start learning that and also, really truly not just because you're one or two over after the first few holes to stop counting your score. You know, you're like, Oh my goodness, I'm two over through two. And that really, uh, really figured that out about my junior year and then just started to have a lot more fun with it. And, um, just playing a lot, a lot more, more aggressive in a sense like that. So because I could. Anyone that looks at your playing resume, I mean, four time United States women's amateur champion, um, Gosh, Florida, in the state of Florida, I, I don't know anyone that would want to play with you because it just appears <laughs> that you've just been the amateur player of the year for the entire decade from 2010 <laughs> to 2020. So I'm sure you're making tons of friends. But the, if I'm looking at your resume, I'm guessing, okay, there has to be some sort of a dip into the professional ranks at some point. But that really wasn't your plan. You went to be an assistant coach and then moved on and, and got your – uh, got a gig as the head head golf coach at Old Miss for the for the ladies team at Old Miss. So, I'm sure you've been asked. I'm sure you've answered it several times. But briefly, what was kind of the gap between? All right, do I turn pro? Do I not? What do I do? Um, you know, how did you make the decision to get into coaching? Yeah, it was. Um, I knew I wanted to you know start my masters, and I was very fortunate. Uh, Old Miss, I was their first assistant coach, paid assistant coach, and. Um, so did that for a year and, um, the coach that was there, Keel, they, um, they were leaving and, um, and I got the coaching job, a head coaching job for six years and, um, was very, had an incredible time, but I, you know, as an assistant coach, I only had that one year to learn a lot, which, which was tough. You know, you learn, a, learn a lot from your mistakes and, um, you know, I absolutely loved coaching there. What an incredible university. My brother still lives there. Um, you know, I was married with two kids and you know, loved going to visit. And after 2006, the first Mid-Am that I won was at Old Waverly. And so I would drive back and forth. I'd do a practice round, drive back, and, um, you know, go to practice. That happened for the first couple of days. And then, you know, then I started made the match play. That was really, that was my first Mid-Am that I played in. Okay. So I didn't really know what I was getting myself into at the time. Um, just felt really, really good that, that uh, week. And, and I was fortunate to uh, come out with the win and, and then drove. I mean, it was nasty, awful, cold, rainy weather that final day and throughout the week as well. And uh, I believe it was Auburn. So my assistant drove us, drove the team to Auburn and I, and I met them there. And uh, the next day, and you know, back to back to, back work. to normal. Yeah. <laughs> so year after 2007, um, you know, it was the the uh, mid am in Arizona, and uh, I gave myself a chance to go to qualifying school. That particular year, it went back to back. It was one week in California, and normally you have a week off, and then they um, go to Florida for the first round. 
And that year, it was the first week was in California, and then the second week, back-to-back, coincided with the Mid-Am. I'm like, well, I'm not giving up on the Mid-Am, so I'm going to give myself one shot out at Mission Hills. Uh, my uncle was a member there and played the golf course several times and, you know, knew what I was getting myself into. But, you know, I didn't, I didn't make the cut, and I didn't – it wasn't – I was just happy that I tried. I gave myself a chance, but it wasn't – you know, it wasn't a very long chance, um, but I, I did it, and then I won, you know, back-to-back mid-ams, and since then, it's that's all I've ever wanted to do, so yeah. it's been, you know, it's, it's been a ride. It's been a great, fun ride. Oh, I, I well, we, we don't have enough time <laughs> to go through every single accomplishment, but, I mean, you name it, any sort of a major women's, women's amateur tournament, your name's all over it, whether it's, uh, I mean, qualifying for, for women's amateur. I saw you qualified for the 2018 U.S. Women's Amateur in Lawrence, Kansas. I, I did. Right, um, right at Lawrence Country Club, right off of well, uh, right, right off of the Turnpike. My husband is from Kansas City, yeah. and um, I've been to a couple Jayhawks fan, or games. Wow. <laughs> Talk about a fun... Uh, oh, Allen Fieldhouse? Fun, are, uh, fun arena. My goodness. Yeah. So... We, he's a diehard Jayhawks uh, basketball fan, and um, the and he's also a member at Wolf Creek. So okay. we had the the superintendent that is now at Wolf Creek was the superintendent at um, Lawrence Country Club. So he caddied for me, and uh, it was we, we had a blast. So we it was a tough day, long day, and uh, but we got through it, and uh, you know qualified for the for the end. You've had your dad on the bag for your four U.S. Mid-Am wins, and you've had your husband on the bag periodically. I don't want to start any sort of family squabbles here <laughs> since it since it does actually. I mean, it's not just family, but it's also business. But uh, can you compare and contrast the catting styles of, uh, of, these two, of these two men? You know, they're very well invested. Look you know, they both. Politi- look at this politically correct. Well, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm kidding. Done that. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Done I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> they both are, you know, so invested. They love it. They want it more than, you know, not to say more than I do, but, you know, their, their heart and soul is in playing every shot. And my game is a little different. I am, you know, I don't think a lot out there. I just enjoy it. And, um, my dad has been on all four wins, um, you know, knees and hip issues right now. So, um, he's, he's retired. Um, I'm sure at some point he'll come back and to, to drive the golf cart. And, you know, when, when he can drive in, you know, different, different tournaments, he could, he, he's still allowed to do that. Sure. Um, my husband, on the other hand, he has been fired, retired, rehired, I don't even know where it is right now, <laughs> oh my well, but it's all good. It's well, all, you know, that's it's, great. That's it's, great. we have a, we have so much fun out there. Um, but he gets a little too into it. And like I said, I'm, I'm a little bit more on the, uh, okay. Yep. Got it. I already did the numbers in my head. You know, I already, I already walked it off. I already got it. So yeah, yeah it's, I, I, I see that bunker. Yes. I, I know I need to, to, to carry it past it. Yes. I, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's entertaining and uh, yeah. And he's fired himself a few times too. So, you know, (laughs) now I know that the majority of our conversation is going to revolve around you as a player, but we just talked about your caddies, but I'm just curious, have you been in their shoes? Have you been on the bag for anyone at all? So 
last uh, 2018, I uh, am friends with Jackie Langer John, who is Bernhard Langer's daughter, oldest daughter, and uh, I she for the first time was able to play in the the father son PNC father son. So I caddied. So I grew up, you know, one summer caddying, and I probably caddied one other time for a friend. But this is a big deal. So you know, you're it's it's not easy being a caddy. I give my dad and my uh <laughs> my husband and all the other people that I've tortured throughout the years um a lot of credit. So I um Jackie and I are staying in the same room the first night, and we're like, okay, let's set an alarm. And uh, Bernhard's like, meet us down at 7.15 for, for breakfast, and then we'll go out and play the practice round. You know, I'm always particular. I like to lay everything out, be ready to go. And uh, and uh, the phone rings at 7.15. And, uh, or seven, yeah, 7.15. And we're like, why is the phone ringing? Well, we never set our alarms. You know, on the Apple phone, you can swipe it. Sure. <laughs> well, we never We never turned our alarm on. So I almost got fired before I even started caddying. And uh, we run down there, and luckily it was just a practice round. But Bernhard took it uh, very lightly. But that's that's just very nerve wracking. That's so. gotta be pretty embarrassing to uh, to. Oh my gosh, so embarrassing! And, and in front of uh, you know, everybody, and and her husband was caddying for Bernhard, so he was there on time. Uh-huh. But uh, you know, but we we uh, yeah we were, we didn't even stay up and drink. We bed at nine o'clock so we have no excuse i know no excuse but it was i was absolutely uh a, a nerve nerve wreck i was it was awful so how, how is that uh, how is that tournament um you know i know it's it's televised i know people kind of see it's court, sort of like you know in that december silly season kind of part of the year where you see like you know they think the shark shootouts around that time of year and um you know different different events like that um what's the dynamic there with some of these you know great legends of the game are they i'm sure there's probably some they're just there with a a younger son or daughter and then maybe some are a little more intense what was your experience there just watching that unfold well first of all it is first class from everything that they do they raise a lot of money they um it is televised um to be that close you know i've been inside the ropes on lpga events but a pga event wow i mean to have jack there and um you know john daly with his son his son was out there from dawn to dusk um incredible player incredible kid um there's just so many great stories the parties they put on it was just a really neat tournament because i've never done anything really like that and the the dinners beforehand with um what's it called the fun the pro-am the pro-am sorry the the pro am was is first class. I mean, these people pay, you know, a lot of money to play with the uh, pros, and they just they just really turn it on and and uh, do the right thing. So it was it was really neat. But on the um, the first hole, it starts raining. So now we got you know the first round of the uh, competition. We have you know not that we're nervous. Jeff and I are like dying. You know, we're nervous, and then it starts raining. So we're like, okay, this is gonna be fun. It only rained the first two holes. But on the first hole, you know, they're uh, taping everything and the TV is the camera's right there. And I'm, you know, Jeff is like, oh, it's one one forty two. And I'm like, or maybe it was the second hole, one forty two. And I'm like, oh, it can't be one forty two. It's, you know, and I'm giving him another yardage. And Bernhard's Meg, 
I'm doing meters, not yards. <laughs> I'm like, oh, God, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. So here I am thinking, you know, one, I almost don't make it to the uh, the first tee box. And then second, you know, here I am trying to. Uh, it's really, it sounds it sounds like it's best if you just put a club in your hand and just that. that yeah. I, better that way. Yeah. I, like, I, like I said, it's, uh, I, I give a lot of credit to everyone I've tortured in the past and, uh, and I'm sorry for anything, and uh, I'll try to be a better player next Jeez, time. He's <laughs> full confessional right here. Just What else do you want to get off your chest? Everything okay? Yeah, everything's great. Oh, okay, all right. Uh, wow. All right, well, let's let's get back on topic of, of you actually having a club in your hand. I think that's the, uh, the safest place for you on a golf course. Let's talk a little bit about preparation, uh, especially preparation for a mid-amateur. I guess one of the biggest challenges with – whether it's, you know, men or women, I mean, competitive mid-amateur golf, you know, we have jobs, we have kids, we have all these different things. It takes time to prepare and, you know, not just preparing for like, okay, I need this weekend off to go play, but you actually have to get your game ready before you actually go play. It's not like just a, you know, weekend trip to Myrtle Beach. You got to have your game in order. How did you like, how did you schedule your practice? How did you make sure that you were peaking at the right time so that you're ready to compete against the best, uh, you know, the best players in the country. Well, back, back in the day, I used to practice a lot, you know, uh, just a lot. Um, right now. Um, I mean, today we are supposed to be on the road to the USGA, uh, excuse me, the four ball in, uh, at Quail Creek in Naples and, uh, you know, starting in practice around tomorrow. So, you know, I haven't picked up in a club in a few weeks and I don't know, since golf courses are open, I'll be out there. And I enjoy playing a lot more right now. Just absolutely love it. I love um, any game that we can get into. Um, love playing with the friends and guys, girls, doesn't matter. Um, just have a blast out there. So I think about golf every day mentally. And either if it's watching something on TV or if it's practicing um, I'm just around the game as much as possible. Um, but yes, you know, the mid-ams, uh, and the professional mid-ams have, have jobs, they have families, they have careers and, uh, it's not easy, but you have to figure out what's, what's best for you in your way to, to practice. But like I said, I, I enjoy playing a lot more right now than, than anything. And I prefer playing in tournaments. So sure. <laughs> more than any, more than anything, oh, yeah. so, you know, you just get, so I just get psyched up for just, just to play. So a lot of these tournaments you're playing in, I guess you're bumping into, I mean, some are obviously mid-am tournaments, but you're also, anytime you're playing an amateur, whether it's the Doherty or, or, or even a, a, a state tournament, you're, you're bumping into these, uh, to, to juniors, you're bumping into girls that are in high school or college. And, you know, they, I'm guessing there've been times where they, if they don't know you and they don't recognize you, they may not think that you're actually playing in the tournament so yeah i mean (laughs) i I just i just hit a i just hit a sore spot i think um (laughs) whoops it happens with all of us you know it's all of us in the the mid-am range um and he and he forgot the 10 11 and 12 year olds too because i do play a lot of golf with 9 10 11 year olds um in in the state and uh, even in the usga now i mean it's the game is just that good and these kids are the game they're just that good right now so um when you see them out there making mistakes just basically because of their youth um 
what are some things that, because I, I get a lot of parents that listen to the podcast. Um, what are some of the things that you wish you could just, I mean, obviously you can't do it during a competitive round, but you wish you could just pull them aside and said, look, here are some things you need to learn because I've been through it. And these are things that I've adapted into my game that you really should try and get into yours as quickly as possible. Well, let, let the kids make mistakes. You know, the parents, the parents aren't playing. They're out there and they should be very supportive. And when they get too, too involved um, on every detail, they're kids, you know, it's, it's, it's too much when they're just every single shot, just let them go play, let them make their own mistakes. And, um, you know, watch from afar. Don't, you know, you don't have to be there every single second of every single shot. And, uh, you know, they're going to learn a lot more that way too. So they'll learn more from their peers and, and, uh, grinding it out that way. But when it becomes not fun for the kids because the, the parents are involved at such a, um, you know, just, just too much, then I, I think they lose interest and it doesn't become fun for them anymore. And you see that a lot. And I see that at, at, at all ages. Um, but you just gotta, you gotta know how to keep it fun and just enjoy the game yeah. as much as you can. We've talked about the USGA titles, but also, I guess one of the highlights I'd imagine from what, from your career is playing, uh, playing Curtis cup in 2008 and, and of all places, I mean, it, it could just as easily have been here in the States, but you're selected to the team that plays at the old course in St. Andrews. Oh. I mean, I've been to St. Andrews, amazing town, been there a couple of times. You're there quite a bit. And, and I mean, was that your first trip to St. Andrews or had you been there previously? No, yeah, that was my, my first trip. So, you know, so many emotions going through and, um, you know, me being, I was 29, I turned 30 on the 30th, the first day of the, uh, oh, wow. of the matches. Yeah. It was pretty, pretty special. Um, a lot of stories to that, but you know, we, I had about probably about 20 people fly over friends and family and, um, I fell in love with it. I mean, absolutely. We had so much fun. Carol Zippel Thompson being the captain. Um, yeah, I mean, how, how can it get any better? And you're at the old course for the first time ever. Um, we didn't have time to do a lot. <laughs> I think I had one hour and I, I, and it was partly sunny and I just ran the town because I didn't get to see the town the first, you know, the first visit there, which is totally fine. Um, I got to experience things I never thought I would. And, um, and of course we won. So that was a highlight of that. Uh, Obviously this, this great experience playing amateur golf and, you know, or playing it, playing in the Curse Cup, and then St. Andrews, and I, I can only imagine just like very similar to Pine Valley, probably first time there. You're just kind of trying to take it all in, but it's near, damn near impossible. But ninety, now you you listen to this podcast, so you know that ninety percent of the conversations that I've had with my guests, they're they're naturally they're focused around golf, and you know some stories lead into different directions, and and I always try and reroute them back to golf because I don't really know a whole lot more than that, but um, <laughs> but you know, let's talk about, let's, let's, let's talk about your, your currently on hiatus caddy, uh, your, your husband. So, you know, let's, let's chat about this. So you're, you know, on social media, gender reveals are like this big thing, the uniqueness of the proposal, the surprise factor, all that stuff. And, you know, we've seen the jumbotron marriage proposals at football games and those are little, little, um, little sketchy, but, uh, 
And then, you know, we've seen the ones at comedy clubs or, P- or even PGA Tour events. And I can't believe that this is the first time I'm really out in front of my skis right now. I hope you can you can tell that. But um, tell me how your husband proposed to you in 2008. Well, let me tell you one story first. So I, I, I had my birthday. They, he decided to get T-shirts made that spell out happy 30th birthday, Megan. And every all my friends and family had each had a letter and they spelled it out and they were on the bridge. Happy birthday. It was unbelievable. And then they went into our team room. They got permission to come into our team room. And like I said, every single person had one letter. Oh my gosh. It was unbelievable on that Friday. So to beat that, you know, I'm like, Oh my goodness, this is never thought for a million years that I would get to propose to on the Swilkin Bridge on Sunday after we win. So, of course, I said yes. He said if I didn't say yes, he was going to push me into the burn. So, <laughs> I, I I can't imagine as a golfer, as a purist, <laughs> how you say no on the Swilkin Bridge. You know, yeah. you, you know, you're going to get the shanks and the yips for the rest of your life if you say no. Yeah, there there was no way I was saying no. Um, and then we went to the. Uh, the uh, old course hotel for i believe it was about 500 people there at least and carol found out and she announced it in front of everyone i mean literally just it it just happened like 20 minutes before that you know so but what a special special time to share with um with the team and my friends and family that were all there and uh and uh yeah it was it's been fantastic ever since that's a good story. That's uh, that's well played. I mean, proposing on the Swilkin <laughs> Bridge. I mean, that's uh, it's tough to beat that. <laughs> you've played um, obviously all over the country, but you've also played all over the world. I mean, not just in Scotland, but you've um, you just recently were at Royal County Down for the British Am. You've played the St. Rule Trophy. This is probably the only thing we have in common. We have both played a competitive round of golf on the new course in St. Andrews. Ooh, uh, I've yeah. I've played the Eden Trophy a few times, so that is where our similarities. Um, uh, that that's pretty much that's as far as it goes right there. But um, <laughs> <laughs> that's all I got. I that, we got that. That's good. Uh, that's about it. Um, oh, we're both uh, and and Quail Ridge. I mean, we're both uh, uh, members of Quail Ridge. So that's I yep. look, look forward to losing money to you this summer if we get out there. So. Um, <laughs> What uh, what do you like so much about playing internationally? I know a lot of people, whether they stay in the States, they don't maybe see what's outside of the country in different courses. What do you like so much about playing internationally? Well, like I said, the first time I played was in uh, was at the Curtis Cup, and I fell in love with it. I mean, you have to have every shot out there, every shot in the bag. You have to be so creative. Um, and I've been fortunate to play in um, – the European international championship as well, uh, several times. So I've played not competitively, but I think I count the other day. I've played in about 20 different countries. Um, wow. Yeah. So, and that's, you know, half of it's competitive and half of it's, you know, our golf clubs go everywhere. So, uh, we're always, always planning on playing somewhere and, uh, you know, we absolutely love it. And, the St. Rule, I am now a member at the St. Rule, which is, you know, the um, 
the organization right on 18th. Yeah. The um, St. St. Andrews Club is a men's club, and right next door is the uh, St. Rule Club, and they put on the St. Rule Trophy. Unfortunately, it's been canceled um, for this year, but look forward to playing it again next year. And, um, you know, I think it happens about five times a year that you get to play on a Sunday at the old course, and St. Rule is one of those days. So it's it's interesting because – you know, it's a dog park on every other Sunday. Right. So people are, people are out there walking, not realizing that you're actually playing a competitive round of golf. And, uh, so it's, it's quite an adventure. And I've, my caddy, I've had the same caddy since the Curtis cup. He actually caddied for someone else. Uh, one of the other girls on our team, um, my caddy, uh, is now one of the caddy masters that caddied for me, but Alex has caddied for me for the last, uh, four or five years. And, man, do we have a good time? <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, I remember being there, uh, in, in St. Andrews one of the years and yeah, I just, I couldn't get over the fact that, okay, this is probably the most famous golf course in the world. Um, I guess for the, for the everyday golfer, I know for due to TV, you can look at Augusta national and Pebble beach, but when you really think of what is so accessible to everyone all over the world, it's the old course. And then literally a, a switch gets flipped on Sundays and you're just like you said, it's literally just a park. It's, it's unbelievable. So it's, um, you got to find another golf course and you know what? There's a lot of golf courses there, in the area. There so are <laughs> you got take, take your pick. So, um, yeah, but I, I absolutely love playing the British Am. Uh, British Am is actually, they moved to the same week as the, uh, us mid Am this year. So, um, yeah, that unfortunately is not going to work. I was looking forward to that too. So, but you know, things life happens, and uh, you know, as long as we're safe and happy, we're we're going to play in whatever I can this summer. So, yeah. Well, I, I had a I had a golf trip canceled. I was going to be at Kiowa at the end of uh, May, so that's that's definitely off. I I guess you know I'm I'm looking at another golf trip, so to speak, that you went on down to Lima, Peru, and. Um, Boy, you know, I don't, I don't know Margaret Shirley. I know she was the reigning U.S. Mid-Am at the time, but I know Scott Harvey and I know Mike McCoy, and uh, <laughs> the four of you knuckleheads went down to Peru together to play in the oh. Southern Amateur, Amateur or South American Amateur Championship. Now I know that Harvey won, and that's great, and I'm sure there was a lot of fun on the golf course. But knowing a little bit about you and and more about Harvey and McCoy, um, can you even can you? I mean, I've heard the stories. Can you share one story about the, off the golf course, how much fun it was? I mean, my, my stomach still hurts. I mean, just any time we still have from five and a half years ago, we still are on a group text message. And if you went back through those stories, you'd, you know, <laughs> I'd, have to bleep, some... I'd have to bleep out a lot is what you're saying. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, I just sit back and I can't even get in word with those guys. I mean, the funniest part, I, I don't even think um, Scott had a passport before going to Lima, Peru. And um, so I, 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 do, I don't think he had, but he, we sat up front. We were very, very lucky to sit up front. And I don't think he, he ate like three Sundays. And he just, I'm like, I kept looking over. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, ah, it's free. It's, you know, we're sitting up front. I got to have another Sunday. Oh, for, I mean, first class on the plane. Yeah. Okay. So I, I mean, it was just absolutely hysterical. So, I mean, that's just the start of it. And it just never stopped. I mean, just one thing after another. 
I believe it was a 17th hole, had a difficult time hitting that fairway. And he had a few stroke lead going into the last few holes. And um, we go back out after we're watching. So we, we catch up to him. He doesn't even know we're out there. And he starts screaming, four! And we are underneath this tree. Well, it wails um, Don, who was with us from the USGA, in the back so hard. It bounced out. You know, he was... He was lucky. He got like a little, little relief, but it, it hit Don so hard. He had a welt on his back and we didn't tell Scott because Scott didn't even know we were out there. So we just walked up and, you know, he ended up winning the tournament and we told him after he's like, no way. He's like, I didn't No, I hit the fairway. He's like, no, you didn't. (laughs) (laughs) So this is Don Donovan, the head of security for the USGA. And, uh, oh, that's great. I mean, it was just in one story after another. I mean, you got McCoy who, ah, God, <laughs> him and his him and his cigars. I was and, just going to ask you how many cigars do you think he went through that time. I don't. I I think he yeah he paid the driver a few bucks to go get him make sure he had a you know the stash never was below three, um you know and he was always on his phone so that's when we nicknamed him Mayor Mike the Mayor. Uh-huh. So, I mean, I wish I was that important. <laughs> I, I don't well I don't know yeah he's he's definitely a character he uh I, uh, I, I met him at the Walker Cup uh, last year and uh yeah he's he's yeah. Uh, he told Just, me he told me the whole team called him Uncle Mike because he was the oldest guy on the team in 2015. Uncle, yeah. <laughs> we just and, you know it's a shame that the tournament I mean we don't go down there anymore but um you know I went and then I went one more time in Argentina with um with Stu and Julia and we just uh you know another another great trip just what an experience to to see golf at that level too i mean we were the only mid-ams there i think there was maybe one or two other players um because it was all it was all juniors because the tournament happens in january so a lot of the kids are in school yeah um but we were we we're it was uh <laughs> every time was was a lot of fun it's uh it's hard to get hagestad to come out of his shell and, and talk a little bit isn't it no yeah right <laughs> <laughs> oh um he's a he's a a very popular target on this podcast uh it seems like there's always a good uh, there's always a good hagestad story floating around so Uh, love those guys and uh you know you know don't get to see them as much because they have they have a lot of tournaments throughout the year and a lot of them overlap with ours so we don't we don't really get to see them um that much but you know, we, we stay in touch. We talked a lot about them having a lot of tournaments and, you know, there's, there seems like there's no shortage of, of men's mid amateurs and not just great players, but also, like you said, the tournaments, it seems like the women's mid am is like the, I guess it's the demographic in amateur golf that may be the least, uh, least represented as far as number of tournaments and maybe as, you know, quantity of players is, is there, I mean, is there any, reasoning you can see behind it that can actually be fixed or is it just that's just the way it is i mean do you have any real thoughts on it um yeah the men the men do have a lot i mean they they can make it a full-time job as some of them you know do with, with some of their other jobs they're able to play in a lot of tournaments um i think with the women what i got to when i back to what i was saying earlier about the juniors just being pushed through so much they after college, they're tired. They don't want to pick up a, a golf club again. That's one scenario. Another is, you know, they have uh, families um, and jobs. You sure. know, it's it's just very difficult. 
Um, we have very limited amount of tournaments. This summer actually was supposed to be a handful of tournaments that um, new new golf tournaments for for mid ams. Um, a couple of them, the ages went down. So from twenty five, I believe, so some of them are going down to twenty two. A uh, couple invitationals, and the U or excuse me, the uh, FSGA added a couple tournaments where you could just I think it was two days over the weekend that, to accrue wagger points. Um, so there's not much. If you go through these juniors and other and men's tournaments, you can see what they're playing in. And um, us women uh, minims, we just we don't have those tournaments. We can't play in a college event. We can't play in a you know junior event. So for us to get points to be nationally recognized is very very difficult. So. You know, uh, Lauren should, Lauren Greenleaf should be proud of what she accomplished this past year. Um, she took a lot of time off from work, and and uh, she played really, really well. And you know, she made the practice squad for the uh, for the um, Curtis Cup, and uh, just wish her the best in this this next year because I'm not sure what's gonna you know what's gonna happen. It's gonna be really challenging with a lot of these teams that require points and qualifications, and then also tournaments that have qualifiers. I mean the US Am and US Women's Am coming up this summer. I I I hope they're coming up. I you really just don't know because it's such a massive undertaking to have qualifiers all over the country. Yeah, you really I mean I, I threw my calendar out this year because I you know, I pencil in every single tournament, very old school, traditional that Get the old a lot day, of the tournaments planner out. <laughs> oh yeah. Nice. I mean, it is like we start, you know, the, the year before, cause a lot of the tournaments overlap. So now you have to pick and choose which ones you're playing in. And, you know, I'm at the age where I want to play where I want to play and I want to play some, you know, fun, great golf courses. Right. And, and I want to, you know, if I'm going to go, I'm going to travel. And, um, so that's what we, I just throw up the calendar. I'm like, we're going to have to start over and figure out if we're playing and where we're playing. Um, and, and it may happen, it may not. So we're, you know, we're, we're all in it together and we're all going to have to figure it out together. And, um, yeah, I, I look forward to, to the next championship whenever that is. Looking at your resume of what you've accomplished on the golf course. I mean, I, I can't imagine that there's, is there anything that's missing that you're targeting? I mean, is there anything that you really kind of want to do or, or, you know, put that extra feather in your cap before, um, I mean, uh, you know, before you really stop playing competitively, you know, it's a long way off, but is there anything missing that, I mean, I'm looking down the list and it just doesn't seem like there's much missing. <laughs> Sorry to embarrass yeah. you, but uh, in front yeah. of the 12 <laughs> listeners, but you know, um, you know, there's a lot there. What, what are we missing? You know, I, I have played a lot. Um, and every year there are different tournaments that are in different places in the country and it, it does revolve, you know, especially the next, uh, well, my eight years, I guess, <laughs> before I'm a senior. So, you know, it, it's going to revolve around a lot of that because there isn't a lot for us to, to participate in. Um, so we're going to have to be a little creative and um, any tournament or championship that I can play in. I, I can't think of one that I, I've, I've been, I've played in two opens. I've played in, I think five professional events. Um I played in the craft when it was the craft and you know, I, it's hard to say I would love to play in a British open, but you know, that's, 
that's tough an open championship because you have to go through qualifying yeah. just because I love, I love it so much over there. Um, you know, so whatever comes up, uh, you know, that's, that'll be the next excitement. So. I mean, of all the things on your resume, I mean, where do the, where does the Florida state mixed shootout championships fall? I mean, having to, having to carry, <laughs> having to carry around Kevin Hammer, uh, for, to four titles. I mean, has that weighed you down in your career and, and caused you undue stress? Yes. I, I hear about it all the time. The next major, the next major, the next major. So, um, he's such a good player and, uh, such good family. Um, Alexa is back in town. So, you know, that's his uh, number one choice, but if Alexa's, uh, can't happen for some reason or can't play for some reason, you know, I'll, I'll be there. Um, <laughs> so, but I, I hear about it all the time. Make sure, you know, you're getting ready for the next major and that, that would be the FSGA mixed uh, shootout. So uh, un- <laughs> unbelievable that there, I think there's maybe only 16 <laughs> players in history that have four USGA titles to their name. And you're the one that's the first, first alternate on a mixed shootout championship at the state <laughs> level. So, Wow. Um, that'll, that'll put you in your place, I guess. Um, as I mentioned, all right, so we're going to wrap this up and we're going to kind of pivot back to one of the first questions I ask you. As I said, I've been I've been stringent, trying not to fall off the wagon, eating right, not not getting into the booze too much and trying to be healthy during this, this quarantine, during this pandemic. But if I am really just going to, you know, completely fall off the wagon and hurl myself into an avalanche of calories at Chuck and Dive, I mean, don't waste my time with some chicken sandwich. That's what I'm trying to say. What, what, what is really going to, what's going to give me, give me the best thing I can get on the menu. Well, first of all, our, our dirty bird is an awesome chicken sandwich. Well, I'm, so, I'm that's sure not, it is, but you know what I'm, you know what I'm but, getting at. You know what I'm but, getting at, right? But, okay. Yes. But, so I would start you off with oysters and it would be black and blue oysters. They're okay. uh, baked oysters. Then of course you have to do some uh, fried green tomatoes. Okay. That'll just get you started. And then um, mahi Mardi Gras. So you got black and mahi, crawfish etouffee on top. You got some red beans and rice, coleslaw, and hush puppies. And then, of course, you got to finish it off with the uh, homemade bread pudding, some white dark chocolate with white chocolate bourbon sauce. Wow. And I assume you just wash this all down with a nice, refreshing glass of ice water, right? Oh, yeah. Now we got uh, a bead of beer is unbelievable. And... Uh, we, we sell a lot of Abita, so that sounds that sounds pretty good. Um, a lot better than the salads and chicken breasts I'm eating. Well, that's for <laughs> darn sure. Um, well, I will get down there as quickly as I can. Um, I'm glad you could take some time out from from all that you're doing there at the restaurant, and I know you're providing a lot of meals to a lot of people that need it. So I think that's fantastic. And um, yeah, we'll try and get on the golf course uh, as soon as possible. And yeah, and I appreciate you stopping by the back of the range. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. And there you have it. Special thanks to Megan Stasi for joining me on this episode here at the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. Uh, remember, go support that restaurant, Chuck and Dive. The link is in the show notes of this episode. We will have more episodes this week and next week. You know the drill. Leave a review in Apple Podcast. Follow us on social media. Go to the website, thebackoftherange.com. Have a great week. Stay safe. And we'll see you again next time here at the Back of the Range. <laughs>